Welcome to the Fiber for Breakfast podcast, a series that discusses fiber as the critical infrastructure for today's growing broadband needs. Listen in as Gary Bolton, CEO and President of the Fiber Broadband Association, speaks with industry thought leaders and experts about connectivity issues and the impact on the remote workplace. I hope you enjoy today's discussion, which will start momentarily. And remember, subscribe and like this podcast on your favorite platform. This week's Fiber for Breakfast brought to you by our platinum sponsor, Wesco. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Fiber Broadband Association's Fiber for Breakfast. We're now in our 28th episode of 2023. Before we kick off, I'd like to thank Wesco, the platinum sponsor of Fiber for Breakfast. You know, today in Washington, D.C., the U.S. Senate Committee on Commerce, Science, and Transportation is currently convening a full committee executive session to consider the nominations of Anna Gomez, Brendan Carr, and Jeffrey Starks to the FCC um, Commission or the yeah <laughs> Federal Communications Commission FCC. So hopefully that all goes well, and we'll soon have all five commissioners. Um, also, the subcommittee on communications and technology, led by our friend Bob Latta from Ohio, is holding a markup as we speak to reauthorize NTIA and ensure the agency is advancing American leadership. And things are looking pretty good at NTIA these days. Also, last Wednesday, NTI issued a request for comments seeking input on any extent of exemptions from the Uniform Guidance, also known as 2 CFR 200, which might help facilitate the implementation of the uh, B program and uh, written comments are reduced for the RFC to be filed by 5 p.m. on uh, August 4th. So don't miss that. And then another exciting news. The National League won the All-Star Game for the first time since 2012, so miracles never cease. Um, coming up quickly is Fiber Connect 2023 in Orlando, August 20th to 23rd. We're now six weeks out and registration has gone absolutely crazy. So if you have not registered, I would recommend you do that right now. Event's gonna sell out soon, and so don't wait. And our next and final regional Fiber Connect workshop will be in Minneapolis on October 24th. So please start registering for that as well. That brings us today's Fiber for Breakfast session with one of my favorite guests and top industry research analyst, Julie Kunstler um, of Omnia Informa. And last week on Fiber for Breakfast, we had the pleasure of hearing from Dr. Nick Maynard, the co-founder and CEO of US Ignite, to discuss once an underserved community gets a Fiber Network, what can they do with it? And Nick shared with us how US Ignite is working with 50 cities around the country to ensure digital equity alongside of broadband access and exploring how to use smart city data responsibly, monitoring environmental conditions to make communities safer and healthier and driving innovation with other researchers at several startups. Today on Fiber for Breakfast, our guest is Julie Kunstler, the Chief Research Analyst at Omnia Informatech who's gonna discuss the North American pond equipment and vendor market. Uh, Julie is the chief analyst with Omnia's broadband access intelligence service. She has several decades of experience in the communications components, equipment and software industry. She's responsible for market analysis of wireline and wireless broadband access technologies and networks, focusing on next gen pond, including 25 gig and 50 gig. Julie has worked as an executive investor and a board member for communications companies Having served in numerous roles, she understands what it takes 
for new communication technologies to be deployed in large numbers across multiple geographies and for different applications and customer types. Prior to joining Omnia, Julie served as the Vice President of Business Development for Technovus, focusing on fiber the home deployments in Asia PAC, OEM agreements and corporate strategy and analyst relations, business planning and fundraising. So welcome, Julie. And for audience, please type in your questions as we go and we'll work them into the Q&A at the end. With that, let, let's get things kicked off. Great, really looking forward to this. So this slide is an overview of our PON equipment forecast, both the central office equipment or the, the OLT side, which can now be also at the edge or in the field, along with the ONT, the ONUs, which form the customer promise equipment. And I'm showing this slide because you see the phenomenal growth that we're forecasting for North America. So while some other regions are also growing or remaining strong, China remains strong, but you can see the phenomenal growth that we're beginning to see in North America. And this is important because finally, and in, in my certainly my opinion and analysts are allowed to have opinions here, the US is catching up with fiber to the home, fiber to the premise deployments. Canada's a few years ahead of the US in many ways regarding this. Sometimes I'm asked, could this forecast even be stronger? I think it could be in later years, but it would require more labor in, in the right places at the right time, no more supply chain issues, smooth approvals and permits, the timely allocation of government funds, available private capital or public capital when needed, and the large cable operators would have to adopt PON faster, which we'll get into a little bit more. In addition, we're seeing PON being used, uh, passive optical networking, one type of fiber, fiber to the premise, which is very efficient and energy sustainable. We're seeing it being used for non-residential applications too, and that definitely helps to fuel this forecast. So one of the major trends that we're seeing in North America is already the adoption of 10 gig PON. And why? Well, it enables four times the downstream when you're looking at GPON and eight times the upstream at less than four times the cost. So many of the operators in the US, large, small, alternative utilities are deploying 10 GPON. On the left side, you see the OLT ports by type. And you can see already back uh, well, certainly back in 2021, we already saw the adoption of 10G PON, and we're continuing to see it. it. It definitely dominates. It enables residential tariff tiering, what I call, where you can do one gig, two gig, and beyond, which helps with competitive positioning. We're seeing its use for beyond residential, as I mentioned, such as enterprise services, smart city applications, and transport. We're also seeing in North America the adoption of 10 gig capable ONTO and use. Uh, you know, why is this? Well, why not deploy a 10 gig capable ONTO and you today, whether you offer multi-gig tariffs or not, it, it enables you to do it in the future without having to touch that customer home again. So you really save on truck roll costs in the future. And we're seeing a number of both large and small U.S. operators take this approach. So a second major trend is that there's really diverse operator types in diverse environments, and they require diverse upgrade paths and solutions. When, when 
China dominated the plant equipment consumption. There was really one, one path, but as we see more different types of operators, telcos, cables, telco slash cables, um, utilities, municipalities, wholesalers, overbuilders, business service only operators, which we have a few in the United States. As we see different types of operators put in more fiber and use PON because of its advantages of being, of being fiber efficient with point to multipoint, being optics efficient, and having really very simple upgrade paths, there needs to be diversity. There needs to be a range of solutions to meet different operator strategies, different operational issues, different regulations, different ownership st st structures, and we're seeing that. For example, some operators that have already begun to ten deploy 10 gig PON have also deployed 25 gig PON capable equipment. They're looking at 50 gig, they're looking at 100 gig and what comes after. Others are planning larger leaps let's say from 10 gig to 50 gig and then to 200 gig. Yes, and believe it or not, 200 gig PON is already being researched. It's in the, what I call the R stage of R&D. But this is really important because it means that an operator can go through that expensive stage of building out the optical distribution network and know that they don't have to redo the underlying infrastructure to support whatever they're going to need in the future. And this is phenomenally important. And one of the great advantages to, to fiber and particularly to PON is that you can go through that expensive construction stage now and know that it's gonna be future-proof. You know, Maybe you don't need beyond 10 gig for a long time. Maybe you do for different applications or customers, but it can support more than 10 gig. You can support 25 gig or 50 gig or what is now being developed in terms of 100 gig and beyond. Third, because of this great opportunity in North America, we're seeing an expanding field of OLT vendors with an expanding range of solutions. It used to be that we were really looking at only the left column here, the, the market share leaders, the established with strong multi-regional and the established with strong regional focus. And particularly in North America, that meant Nokia, Atran, DZS, and Calix. But today, there are many more vendors who've entered the PON equipment for the PON equipment market. So whether they're coming in from a metro, what I'll call metro edge perspective, where you can add PON to switching and routing or routing equipment, whether they're focused on the cable operator market, for example, adding PON to digital nodes that are in the field whether they're looking at it from a disaggregated perspective, disaggregated open access perspective. So we're seeing a much wider range now and many more vendors. And I've seen some operators go with the newer vendors in the pond space. I've seen some say, hey, I'm gonna stick with my traditional or I'm gonna stick with my traditional and add one of the newer vendors. But the point is that there's much more choice for the operators out there. And this to me is really important, that there's choice, there's diversity on where an, op where an operator wants to get to and where, there are, where they are today, the environment that they're dealing with. Uh, so I'm really happy to see this expanding field, the expanding range of solutions available for the, for the North American operators.
So what about pollen and sustainability? Well, we know that fiber is energy efficient compared to other broadband technologies. We asked the question in a survey that we did in February, March of this year, how important is energy savings and what's PON's role in your energy savings strategy? And 44% of the organizations said that it is, PON plays a major role in meeting energy savings goals and that they track PON's energy savings versus other approaches such as active ethernet point-to-point -point or DSL. What we know from Europe, so the European Union has a code of conduct for broadband communications that a number of operators and vendors participate in where they set sustainability goals for different types of equipment over several years. So we looked at this code of conduct with data that Nokia had tracked from earlier codes of conduct because we're into several, the EU's into several versions of the code of conduct today. And you can see from this figure how incredibly power efficient PON is compared to copper technologies. But what's even more important is that next-gen PON, such as XGS PON, per gig, is more power efficient than GPON. So what this means is that you can, an operator can support more and more bandwidth that's being required by their customers, whether, whether residential, whether business, whether for their internal data X-Hall, whether it's wireless, back-Hall, front-Hall, mid-Hall, Wi-Fi aggregation points and know that the energy per gig is actually going down. This issue is coming up more and more because as we, as the broadband community wants to connect the unconnected or the poorly connected, one of the questions is what does that mean for the power grid? Because connecting people takes energy, but the good news is that fiber is incredibly energy efficient. PON is energy efficient because it's point to multi-point, so not everyone has their own highway, they're sharing that highway, but it's very well defined with a lot of security and encryption in the PON technology. And as PON capabilities increase, the energy per gig is actually going down. And I thank you, and I know I went through this really fast, but I wanted to, to make sure we cover the highlights and then to leave a lot of time for, uh, for questions. All right, so Julia, it's great stuff. I always love it. Um, Trish, can you roll back to slide eight? So when you look at this, this is really surprising. So China is flat. How is that possible? Well, remember, fiber to the home in China is over 95%. So what they're really going through now are upgrades. And so massive upgrades, such as 10 gig upgrades, which are well underway, they're planning to begin 50 gig towards the end of next year, and they're even doing fiber to the room, where fiber to the room gets, fi the fiber gets pulled into each room. And it's almost like a caulking gun, where you literally pull the fiber um, along the baseboard into multiple, into multiple rooms in an apartment or a house. So the China market remains strong, but remember at 95, 98% fiber to the home rates already, 
It's a question of upgrades and pushing the fiber even deeper. You know, we talk about fiber to the outside of the house or, or the apartment. And in China, they're actually doing fiber to the room now. Yeah, in Dubai, they're doing fiber to the yacht. And, uh, right, right. <laughs> but, yeah. okay, so the old adage of China drives all, all the volumes. So whatever China adopts, then that's where we're going to get the economies of scale. So now that shifts to North America. So you can see the outer years, North America is driving all the volume. Correct. Or a, right. a good piece of the volume, right? So the important, it's it's actually important for China to stay. We're, I'm, we're happy to see China remain strong because yes, China, a number, many Chinese component vendors have really driven down the costs, especially in optics, for, for example. And we forget that optics is, a significant piece of the cost of pawn, pawn equipment. But what's important is that uh, from an ecosystem point of view, that the minute that you see other regions such as North America, EMEA conti continue to grow, and in some cases grow very rapidly, it enables more diversity. It's not all being dictated by China Inc. And I don't mean this as a criticism. What I mean is that not every operator or operating environment is created equal. The US is very unique in, in, my, in my opinion. There's a, there are a few other countries that are similar to the United States, particularly in Latin America. But in the United States, first of all, you have, a very, you have very strong cable operators and 60, at least 60 million homes are still on coax cable. You also have very small operators. You have many hundreds, thousands of smaller operators. You don't see that in China. So when China Telecom or China Mobile or China Unicom decided to do something, they really wanted a, a lot of uniformity and to a large degree, they were working in a pretty uniform environment. So it really came down to getting out there faster and with services. In the US, you have a very different situation. And it's important that we have diversity in the ecosystem to support those different situations, right? You have utilities. Utilities are already touching every home with power. Why shouldn't they also be able to do um, communications? I'm not getting into the regulatory or political side of this, but what they need, they need something that's going to help them go to a smart grid and at the same time, enable the community to thrive from a broadband, broadband technology point of view. So it's very different than what we see elsewhere. So what you're saying is any home that has power should have fiber. Oh, yeah, yes, in my opinion, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, Trish, put those slides back up. Um, I had a couple other questions on slides. So um, I think it's slide eight, next slide. Um, yeah, okay, so this I thought was really interesting in that when you look at, so on the left you have OLT, so at the head end, and then on the right you had what's at the home, the ONTs. Um, but when I look at GPON, GPON, you have still shipping GPON ONTs, excuse me, OLTs at the head end in 27 and 28, but they're long, largely gone in the ONTs. So you're saying that people are going to ship 10 gig capable OL, ONTs um, when they're still deploying GPON? Yeah, I mean, some of that blue, there's certain situations where you don't really need 10 gig. So, so yes, OLTs would lag OLTs. Normally they do, and they do in the beginning of the forecast, but towards the end, you actually have some GPON replacements that are still going on. 
um, and where the ONTs have are going to last for another five to ten years. Um, and when they finally do get replaced, it will be with 10 gig. If we had run this out, let's say another year or two, you'd see it all. You, you wouldn't see any blue on the on the OLT side. Okay. And I did have a question um, from audience on. Can you explain um, PON, so passive optical network, real quick? <laughs> sure. So PON is a point to multi-point um, optical networking technology using TDM, time division multiplexing, that's the common, that represents 99.9% of the, the, pond, the, the pond market. The advantage of point to multipoint, you know, the way I look at this is, you know, I would love my own highway, I would love my own swimming lane when I, when I work out in, a, in the swimming pool, but that's not really efficient. So it's a way to manage multiple users on the same fiber, but not have them collide. So meaning that you have adequate bandwidth, you have dynamic bandwidth allocation, you can do committed rates on PON, and you can ensure security on PON. And that's hugely important because the minute you think point to point, you say, oh, it's highly secure end to end. PON's done the same thing where an ONT knows which OLT to talk to, the OLT knows which ONT to talk to. So a tremendous amount of work has been done to ensure that PON is secure, even though it's point to multi-point. So in most fiber the fiber of the home networks, they're deployed with a passive optical network, which is really leads to your sustainability. That's kind of the, the key since you don't right. have it's passive, so there's nothing powered in it. Right, right. Exactly. There's nothing powered in the in the PON network. The other thing is that let's face it, in a large in a larger city, even of let's say fifty thousand, a hundred thousand, to terminate 50,000 or 100,000 point to point would require a tremendously large central office or termination point, so which you just can't have. Where we saw point to point really begin was in places like Norway, Sweden, where if you have a population of three or four million people throughout the whole country, you're not dealing with that many fiber terminations. But the minute you get into any significant population, you just can't, it doesn't, you don't have the capacity, literally the physical capacity to hand, handle all of those fiber terminations. So PON began to take off in Japan, in China, in South Korea, and then we began to see more and more of it in Europe, in Africa, South America, North America. So you have all these players here. So when we start looking at, um, well, maybe go back one. So you're, you're, you had mentioned that you thought that people are going to start leapfrogging, right? So they're doing 10 gig, they might, instead of going from 10 to 25 to 100, they might leapfrog. When you go to the next slide, the vendors on this, so we went from kind of the big three in North America, you know, Calix, Nokia, and Adran, to now we have a whole bunch of people in North America, especially you mentioned Sienna and Juniper. So guys like Sienna, could they come in and disrupt the market? Because they already do um, like hundreds of terabits. And I mean, I've had Steve Alexander on here showing us that he can do, you know, hundreds of terabits in the palm of his hand. So is that a, you know, some of the um, the transport guys can they come in and, and start to really disrupt? Yeah, they, they 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 are coming in. So what their approach is to say, let's flatten access metro. You know, let, let, and, and this is where you see, and I'll, I'll, talk, I'll be talking more about this at 
couple of sessions at, at Fiber Connect in August there, that these severe distinctions between what's access, what's metro, are real are blurring, and what what it enables is less equipment, and again, less equipment leads to more lower energy usage. So if you have a switcher, a router, and it you have ports on it, you can do point-to-point -point ports, you can do pond ports, and that's sort of that Sienna's and Juniper's ubiquities approach. It also, and in, in that can support a lot of aggregation. So I think what we're going to see is pond being used more and more internally by operators for data transport, their own data transport. Why not? You know, again, it's power efficient, it's sustainable. You know, Sienna, yes, 100 gig, 200 gig terabytes does not scare Sienna. That's that's exactly the the optical networking space that they're that they're in. And in fact, some of these other players like Sienna Juniper. They're, they were less interested in two point, let's say one gig EPON or 2.5 gig GPON because they're really slow speeds when you're looking at 100 gig, 200 gig. So yes, I think there's an opportunity for a number of vendors to come in at different points doing different, different um, applications that can be used on PON. You know, I had Jeff Hainan on a few weeks back and he was showing that the cable industry is buying up pond ports like crazy. They're doing remote LTs like crazy. Um, so this whole list of, uh, you know, I'll call it Doxus vendors. You know, what do you see? You know, what's the life of Doxus, and you know, what's preventing? I know the small guys have already switched from Doxus to Pond, but you know, we got three or four large guys that have these big in, installed base networks. What do you? What's the look? The outlook look like for? everybody getting on pond versus trying to yeah it'll be it'll be years before everyone gets on on pond it's a question of cost and for for many of the subscribers on coax cable with Zoxus 3.1 and 4.0 coming the bandwidth certainly the downstream bandwidth is adequate it's so part of what pushes cable to move to Pond, add, add pond, selectively add pond, or surgically add pond, it's been sometimes referred to. One of the, one of the key motivators is competition. Because if a, if a consumer can have one gig for at a very good price, uh, five or one gig, and let's say at half the price of the, what they're paying their cable operator, they think, hmm, one gig downstream, upstream, and it's easy for me to upgrade to two gig, or five gig if at some point I need to do so or want to do so, that becomes a key motivator for the cable operators in those locations uh, to, to start adding more pond and add pond faster. Hey, we're almost out of time, so maybe hit two questions really, really quick. Um, on splits, 32, 64, 128, what are you seeing? What's much more, much more variety. So traditionally it was pretty much six, 64 way splits, two splitters in the field. We've seen operators build out their ODNs now with 16 or 32 or with 64, but in a way where they can pull out a splitter if they want to for more bandwidth. So there's much more diversity around that because even once you get to, let's say, beyond one by four, PON is efficient from a cost point of view. You don't have to go out to 64. You can choose to do so, but you don't have to to make it economical. And then the last question. 
is what's next evolution from 10 gig fund? Will China drive 50 gig over the 25 gig in terms of availability and cost? Um, we're going to see both. And so the way I look at 25 gig and 50 gig is we already have 25 gig available. There'll be more vendors supporting 25 gig in the near future. And towards the end of next year, you'll see 50 gig. Um, China will absolutely drive down some 50 gig costs. But will it be lower than 25 gig? Um, that remains to be seen. Well, Julie, you have always a wealth of knowledge. And I look so yeah, forward to seeing you in Orlando at our conference. And hopefully everybody can be able to spend some time with you and, and talk to you about the market. And also you're hosting some great sessions for us. So thank you guys for all that. Thank you. And really appreciate everything that you guys are doing for research on the industry. I want to thank everybody for joining us today. We'll get back together next Wednesday. We're going to be speaking with my buddy, Ryan Kuntz, the Managing Director and Research Equity Analyst at Needham. He's going to be talking about the federal funding and economic impacts in the fiber industry. Ryan did a great talk for us in Tahoe, and you're not going to want to miss that. He really has some great insights of what the whole economy is doing and what that means for fiber and what's happening with all our subsidies. So um, it's a uh, perfect storm. So we'll see what he has to say. Thanks everyone. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Julie.